The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. On this episode of the History Worth Saving podcast, we're talking to a man who has been to the brink. He was homeless. He served his country valiantly in Vietnam. But before all of that, he grew up on a small reservation in South Dakota. The son and the grandson of Native Americans and warriors known the world over. And we'll get into that. But Coming out of all of that, Ernie LaPointe had to learn how to heal from post-traumatic stress that he encountered in Vietnam. And he joins us now to talk about that on the series here we're calling Masters of Their Art. And if there is ever an art to practice and work towards mastery, it is the art of healing. And Ernie LaPointe joins us now from his home. Ernie, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you for uh, having me on. Did I get that right? I mean, Vietnam was a was a, a time in your life uh, where well, your entire service history, as you and I've talked about. I mean, it, it, this was a time in your life that you're grateful for, but it was also a time of 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 great strife for you as an individual. Well, basically, yeah, that was. Uh, see, I lost my mother when I was ten. And my father, he passed away when I was 17. And, you know, I had half-brothers and half-sisters, and I really didn't uh, connect with them well. So, you know, I was getting uh, Social Security survivor's benefits from my father because I wasn't 18 yet. And I stayed with some friends of mine in Rapid City, South Dakota, until I turned 18, and then the, the benefits stopped. And I didn't know which direction, what to do, you know, because I had no uh, no idea. So I, I looked into myself, said, what should I do? You know, I mean, I can't take advice from nobody else. So I'm walking down the street there in Rapid City, and there's this little block there with all these recruiters. You know, this is 1966, you know, when the Vietnam War was starting to get hot and heavy. And they were trying to grab a young man walking down the street, off the street, and trying to get him enlisted. And that's how I grabbed, got grabbed by it. First, it was a Marine. And then <laughs> I was going to join the Marine. And, just, and then I thought about it. And I went home and I thought about it. I went back to my friend's place. And the next day, I said, well, I guess I'll go back and see the guy, you know, because he's the only, only one out there the, the, the day before. So I went back there and all these other guys were out there. And the Army guy was there. And he 
asked me what I was doing. I said, I came to see that Marine. He said, what? He said, that Marine? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, he asked me to, you know, by joining. He said, ah, he said, come, come with me. Uh, so he talked me into going in his office, and he told me all the benefits the Army offered and all this stuff. And so I ended up going in the Army with this, and we signing up, and then the Marine comes, and there was almost a fight over me. And I said, man, I said, two guys want to fight over me. I'm only 18. You know? I said, no girls ever did that. Right. But you got the Marines in the Army. And, I mean, that, that yeah. part of, of signing up for something bigger than yourself, I, I'm sure that was appealing at that point in your life. Yeah, well, I had to go do something, you know. I didn't want to be, you know, because I had no, uh, I didn't graduate from high school or anything, but when I joined the Army, I told this Army guy, asked me this, and I told him that, and he says, well, no problem. He says, well, you, through basic training, he says, you'll get your GED. So that's what I did. For six weeks, I went through night classes, you know, every evening, you know, when I was going through basic training. Everybody else was doing night things, and I was doing this. GED courses, me and a couple other guys that didn't have diplomas. From there, it was off to Korea, to Turkey and Germany, and uh, and then and then Vietnam. Right. Well, I didn't really have to go to Vietnam, actually, you know, because you know I could have I could have ETS out of Germany, you know, but I was when I was stationed in Germany, the most of the guys coming back in as replacements were Vietnam vets. They acted like they knew their future or whatever they were doing, you know? And so I said, well, I re-enlisted for three years and volunteered for Vietnam. So that's how I ended up in Vietnam, you know? And uh, I realized that, you know, I shouldn't, you know, I mean, I, mean it, I, I don't regret anything because it's learning experience to me. This is, my culture teaches me that, you know, whatever you do through your life is a, is a learning experience. Sometimes it's right or sometimes it's wrong. It's that right and wrong thing is you, not anybody else. You know, you don't have to listen to somebody saying, well, you know, you're wrong or you're right. You know, it's you. You're the one who made the you You're the one who made the decision. So this is how I look at it, you know, as what I did was it was a learning experience. But, you know, as a Lakota, you know, if you're going to go into a, a thing like Vietnam, you had to, or even the military, you should prepare yourself to tell you spiritually, you know, because we live a spiritual way of life. Our Lakota culture is not a religion or it's not anything like this. It's a spiritual way of life. We live every day with the spirituality around us. It's never, so it's this, never with or without. It's always with. And I right, think that's, I think that's beautiful. I want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, for those who are just uh, discovering your name, your great grandfather was someone who they've undoubtedly heard of, Sitting Bull. But this was something right. that was not was not talked about. Your mother said, you know, keep this quiet uh, for a while, for, for whatever reasons. But but that had to weigh on you as you're approaching this this time in service. I mean, the great-grandson of a, of a, a warrior known the world over. I mean, how, how was that? Or did you even think about it as you entered into this chapter? Well, you know, the way I was told, you know, the stories I was told to me about his life and, and, and the culture of the native Lakota people, you know, they always say, you know, you do not, she told me, she said, you should not brag or, or tell anybody who you're related to. You know, this is 
you know, you're supposed to, she said, but in, in your sense, she says, you know, he has two sides, you know, he had the negative and the positive sides. You know, people looked at him negatively after the Battle of the Little Bighorn in 1876. And then later on, they looked at him in a positive way because of who he was. But she said, you know, I was growing up, and she, I was telling my mom, I said, can I tell my friends these stories you're telling me? She said, no. She said, there's a time in the future that you can do this. And she says, you know, like, you get the permission to do this. So I said, okay, well. And she says, never tell anybody these things because she says, your life will never be the same. And I didn't know what she's talking about, you know. So I said, okay, well, I always believe my mother, you know, her words still I hold in my heart right now, you know, her memory, her words, what she told me, taught me. So I kept it to myself through, through my military career service. You know, I always hear guys talking about the natives and my grandfather and other uh, Lakota warriors like Crazy Horace, Gull, Ring in the Face, all what they did at the Little Big Horn. And you know how they were, and and they always talked about my grandfather, but I couldn't, I didn't want to say anything because my mother's words were echoing in my head. And I said, well, you know, sometimes I just want to come out and talk about it, but I didn't want to because I, I said, well, she told me I have to have permission, but she's not around anymore, you know. So I kept this with me for all these years, from you know, from her, when I joined the military, lived on after I got out of the military, everything. No, I never once told anybody. My ex-wives, I never told them, you know. So, uh, I, I guess it was in 1992 when my aunt came forward and she told me to come out of the shadows. Mm. She said, it's time for you to set the record straight about who your grandfather is. How did you prepare based on this, this ancestry and, and the spirituality of all of this? How did you prepare yourself for your time in service and your time at war? Well, I really didn't because... You know, the, the government had suppressed a lot of the ceremonies and a lot of the, the ways that the young men back in my great-grandfather's time prepared themselves. And those of us who went into the military after, you know, this didn't really have a, an idea or no clue. You know, we were told many things. Because we looked at movies just like everybody else, you know the, the right, right, the, the war paint and everything else, yeah. as you said, yeah, right, and, yeah. So, but you didn't have this when you went off to war. We looked at it as as a, as a, as we wanted to be elite. So we took this comparison from the native societies to the military. The the native societies they were men of honor, you know, that had prestige, they had they had their 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 honor. On, on a, I guess you might say in combat or in battle, you know, they didn't kill each other. You know, it was a, they had a stick and they kind of cool on each other. And this is how their honors were earned. They didn't go out there to kill. But see, within the military, you were trained to kill. And see, this was the, the big difference. And with these societies, you know, in the native societies, they were given a, and as they get older, young man gets so old, you know, he has, a, he has, he goes through ceremonies, and through the ceremonies, the spirits show you him colors. You know, various colors, blue, red, yellow, white, black, or whatever, green. And, and they show them how to apply this to their bodies. But the reason for this was to protect their soul. 
the spirit because we live in a spiritual society. And the most vulnerable part of a human being is their soul, their spirit. So you put the, apply this paint to your body. That protects your soul. You go through a purification ceremony. You come on, you, you apply this. And, you know, sometimes another friend or another member would help you, you know, paint your arms, back, or whatever, your head. And then you go into, even not, not to battle, but, you know, like on a buffalo hunt or something, you know, and back in them days they had millions and millions of buffalo, so you go into the herd and say your horse gets spooked and you fall off, and there's buffalo spook and they run and they run all over you. After they, half a million of them run, run over you, you know, you, you're just in pieces. So that's a traumatic event, see? But when you have this protection, your soul is intact. It doesn't have a spiritual wounding. And see, this is where most guys after the little bighorn and after the, you might say the treaties or whatever that they made with the government made with the U.S. Well, one of the the greatest aspects of our society was they took the pain, put it aside, because they said, we will never war against you again, mm-hmm. which was a mistake, because they didn't realize that in the future, World War One, World War Two, you know, Korea, Vietnam, and all the wars since then to here, Afghanistan, Iraq, they did not realize that the young men of the native societies were going to go into these uh, into this military service. So they did not have the 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 same gift as they did back in them old days when they applied the paint to themselves to protect their souls. So they tell me through ceremonies when I came back from Vietnam that what I was going through, the, the flashbacks, the memories, the dreams, the recurring dreams I had all the time were, were from the spiritual wounding. It's not a mental thing. It's a spiritual wounding, they said, because all the things that I experienced you know, in combat, you know, the traumatic events, the rocket attacks, the, the firefights, whatever. So... You know, for for a long time, I didn't know this was what I had. You know, <laughs> I thought I was the only one going through this for a long time because I met ran into other Vietnam vets and they didn't show the same kind of symptoms I was going through. You know, I was holding it inside. And besides, I don't know, when I first came back, I wanted to talk about it, you know, get it off my chest, but nobody wanted to hear it. So I just kind of kept it to myself. I think it's a lot of the military pride that, you know, you're instilled in, you know, the, the the training you had. You're supposed to be a macho guy and stuff, you know. <laughs> mm. And, of course, today, looking back on this, your great-grandfather knew it then, and now you know it, that there's a process. There is this process that's in place uh, for when someone is spiritually wounded. There is a way to heal, and, and thankfully, you know that today. I, I want to keep going with this, though, because I, I know it's difficult to talk about. The first time you and I talked about it, it just burned into my into my memory, and I've never forgotten it. It, it was the turning point for you uh, in your Vietnam War uh, when you looked at things differently. Can you tell the story about the prisoners who came into your camp? Yeah. I was um, actually, I didn't, wasn't really part of the capturing. It was, I was on a fire base when they brought in these prisoners. Uh, there were about 17 of them, I guess. They had them, captured them on a, on a trail out there somewhere in Asia Valley. 
and they brought him into this fire base, and we were there, and they said, you know, do a perimeter guard, you know, and these, they brought these guys in, and they was separating them. And they all looked like young boys, you know, they looked like they were just teenagers, you know. I mean, they weren't uniform, they were NBA soldiers. And uh, they put them in different bunkers out there, you know. And I was sitting on in the shade there, you know, kind of lounging around, taking it easy, you know, making, keeping an eye on the borders and stuff, you know. And pretty soon here comes the sergeant major on one of them uh, bunkers, and he comes, he's looking, he's looking around, he sees me, he tells me, calls me over. Someone over and I said, yeah. I said, what's, what's the problem? He says, well, he says, we have an NVA major in there. He said, he's the commander of this group, he said, and he wants to talk to you. He wants to ask you a question, is what he said, before he talks to us. So I said, why me? He says, I have no idea. He said, but he said, he's a POW. He says, so you go in there. He says, you don't call him sir. You don't salute him. You don't say anything. Just ask him what he wants. What's the question? So I was thinking, what the heck does he want to talk to me for? You know, I'm not a you know, high-ranking anything, you know. But So I followed him. We went to this bunker and had him sitting on the sa- uh, stack of sandbags in the center of the bunker. There's a couple of guys sitting around him. So I went in there and I said, uh, can I help you? And he says, he looks at me and he, when he spoke, he spoke perfect English. He said, you are Native American, right? And I told him, I says, well, I said, actually, I said, mostly all these guys here are Native Americans, as they were born in the U.S., you know. He says, no, he says, what I mean, he says, are you a member of the first Aboriginal nations of the United States, of the North American continent? And I said, yeah. He says, what tribe are you from? I said, uh, you know, Sioux. He said, very noble nation. He said, you know, he says, I was uh, educated in the United States, he says. I was educated at the Brown University. I'm looking at this guy, he looks like he's 17, and he's telling me this, you know. And he says he got his degrees in political science, and, and then he says he did a real study on the Native cultures. He said he went to libraries and everything, trying to find out more about the Native Americans, I mean, the, the Native First Aboriginal Nations. And he says he studied the Sioux, he says. And what a great noble job, he says, and your people protecting your way of life. He says, he says, my question to you, though, he said, is, he says, he says, why are you in my country with the same army that came to your country that tried to destroy your people's way of life and your culture? And you're in my country trying to do the same thing to my people. Uh, before I can answer, the sergeant major grabbed me. He said, okay, he says, he told the guy, he says, you, answer, you asked the question, you don't have to answer it. He pushed me out the door. He said, leave. But he planted a seed. He used psychology on me, you know what I mean? I, was, I started thinking. I said, wow. I said, the man kind of made some sense to me, you know? Because I was planning on making a career out of the military. And that's when he just popped my bubble, you know? I mean, you know, I always feel uh, some kind of a warm or kind of a painful warm feeling in my heart for that granite wall in Washington, D.C. with them 58,000 names on her and plus because these guys went there, you know, whether they wanted to go or not, they went, you know. I mean, they didn't head for Canada or have any diseases or illnesses not to escape. They went to, to do a job, I guess you might say, in the military, to give their life for something that 
you know, it really didn't make any sense. But we were really actually there to fight for each other, actually to survive, you know. Sure. I mean, this was my, and so when I came back from Vietnam, it was really a, a difficult time, you know, because, I mean, every Vietnam vet or every combat veteran has their own memories and their own, uh, I guess, feeling of traumatic events, you know. But the overall picture is we all have a, a, a certain... Every combat, but not just Vietnam, but other, uh, all these other wars that the U.S. been in, you know, you come back from there, you carry a, you left a piece of your soul there, you know, I mean, a wounded and that country's soul. always I mean, within really, you. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and this, this was something that you wrestled with greatly. I mean, you were homeless, you, as you said, yeah, well, you, you, you know, lost your family. And I mean, this was, this was something that you really, had to work through for a very long time. Yeah, well, you know, when I was homeless, I was more comfortable living on the street than I was trying to function in society out here because most of the guys that were on the street were Vietnam vets. I mean, they were war veterans, not just Vietnam, but I met a couple of Korean war vets and a couple of World War II veterans on the, on the street. And, you know, we we acknowledged each other. We cared for one another, but we didn't get attached to each other, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, we, we knew we were in country, you know, and the main guy that I was with, he hung with me. I mean, we hung with him. We, we were good friends. He was in the 1st Cavalry Division in Vietnam. He was a scout sniper. And, man, at nights he would, some nights he would just go into a, like a, like a, a panic attack in his sleep. And man, I had to hold him down a couple of times because I told him, I said, he'd wake up and he'd be just full of sweat. And I didn't realize I was going through the same thing because he told me, he says that I went through the same stuff and I didn't realize it because, you know, sometimes my my dreams I don't remember. But my kicking on, because my wife told me the same thing. She said, I used to run and kick her running through the jungle, you know, <laughs> I mean, in my sleep, I guess. And... I mean, I was I was going through some hard times, you know. So, basically, this guy was a was a native guy too. He was from Nebraska, and he was a Winnebago Indian, you know, a guy in the first cab. But there was all these other guys I was with. There's six other guys. They're all native guys, you know, Cherokee from uh, Oklahoma, and a couple of Choctaws, and uh, we had one white guy. He was a Navy corpsman who served with the Marines in Vietnam. He had his little bag with the medical equipment. We rode trains, freight trains all over the country, you know. The, the only downfall on that was we was using alcohol to to suppress the, the, the memories we thought. But it actually enhanced the memories. When The more you drank, the worse it got. So, I mean, we didn't know that at that time, but I, I think most of these guys that I was on the street with are not here no more. And the reason because, that you survived uh, was was pure fate. You stepped on a nail. Yeah. And, well, you know, and, that's, and the rest that's is history. Got me. Right. I got out of the uh, went to the VA, and a guy helped me. You know, he helped me get off the street. You know, and I think that's that was my my way of trying to deal with what PTSD stood for. What the heck is PTSD? You know. And the VA hospital, the doctors told me it was a mental thing, you know, and I told them, 
yeah, I can't be crazy. You know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know right from wrong. I know right. everything. I mean, I, I, I'm not crazy. I said, you know, I just can't deal with the, the memories of, of what's going on. It wasn't until when I started coming back to my ceremonies that I realized, that told me then that it was not a mental thing, it was a spiritual wounding. I didn't protect myself. And you hadn't so, protected yourself before yeah, you left because my- it just wasn't passed out and this wasn't something that was known. And so when I heard this, Ernie, this is, this is why I wanted to have you on because what you've done is, and I know it's not just you, and as you've self-described, you're, you're, you're sort of a, a lone wolf. You don't have any friends. You have acquaintances. But this is something that, that you're not doing on a big scale, but you'll talk to anyone who wants to hear it. You went back to your roots. And through this process of, of rediscovery, you found a way to heal. And I think it's beautiful. I really do. I think it's, I think it's beautiful, and I think it's a just such a testimony to to the way it was and to why it was because your great-grandfather knew something that a lot of us today don't know and I, and I, I I think it's it's wonderful the way you rediscovered all of this well you know I, I always had it in me I just kind of went away from it <laughs> it was like it was like I made a circle came back to to what I was uh, shared, the, the idea, the stories that were shared to me when I was a child growing up. I had to go through this, this process of, of rediscovering what was told to me as a child growing up. But I had to experience the, the circle, I guess you might say, of alcoholism, homelessness, and fighting, and all this, the war, and the many different jobs I had. You know, I learned. You know, I never was attached to one job, you know, I was leave because of the, the, I didn't, I, I didn't like the anger that I had in me, the rage, you know, from this condition that I was going through the spiritual wounding. 250 like jobs. Is that what you told me? Over, yeah, over, over 250 jobs. jobs. And so as you're starting to heal, one of the things they, they wanted you to do was to go back to work. I mean, that's right. I mean, that's the way you do it. You, you heal up, you go back to work and, and you work, but but you were still dealing with this spiritual wounding. Talk to me about this song, because there was a song in your dreams, and it kept recurring. And finally, I think it was your sister who who you reached out to about this, wasn't it? Uh, well, one of my sisters, I had a couple of sisters, and and I asked them about it. The, the song, it was, it was, a, it was a, a native song, a Lakota song, it had words. And I speak my Lakota language fluently, and I, I, I really didn't know whether, why the song was going on in my head like it was doing. I mean, it wouldn't go away. So I eventually went to my other, I had a sister living in Wyoming, so I asked her about it. I said, do you know what this song is? And she didn't know. But she told me, she says, she's going to the spirit, she's going to Rapid City, she said, for the uh, day, and she said, I had my car, she said, if you follow me, she said, we'll go to, it's, it's like our Native American church kind of way. If you want to call it that, it's called Bear Butte. It's a big butte. It's next to Sturgis where the big motorcycle rallies always go on, just north of Sturgis. And that's where they have uh, visions, you know, and, and ceremonies there. And she said, there's, there's a lot of 
uh, spiritual guys there. She said, medicine men and spiritual people. She said, maybe one of them can tell you. You know, so we went up there, and I followed her up there, and we stopped at the parking lot, and she told me these guys, you know, the camps. She says who they were. And she told me the one down here, and, and she, when she told me his name, I said, he's a medicine man. I grew up with this guy, you know. I moved with kids <laughs> together. And she said, yeah. So I went, and she said, you're the governor, give him an offering and tell him what the song is So. Then she had to leave, so she left. So I went, I went across this little bridge they had there, and all the time I'm, I'm there. It's like a, you know, like you have ringing in your ears. Well, the song was like that, a ringing in your ears. Instead, was a song going in my head all the time. I couldn't really shake it, you know. I mean, I knew the song by heart in my head. You know? <laughs> so when I crossed this bridge, got into the ceremonial area, it's like the a radio you shut off. The song was gone. And I said, wow, man. I said, I never experienced how great being in quiet is. <laughs> yeah. So I walked up to him and I offered him some tobacco. And I says, uh, you know, we got to talking, you know, laughing, joking. We used to do that when I was kids. And I told him, I said, you know, you were a medicine man. And he said, well, he says, you know, I had that calling ever since I was born. He said, I just didn't know. So then, you know, I kind of said, well, I said, you know, I asked him, I said, I got the song I had going in my head for a couple of, you know, a couple of two, three, four days, you know, he goes, yeah, he said, I said, yeah, I says, I don't know what the song means. He says, does it have words? And I said, yeah. So he said, uh, he told me, and I said, so I told him. And he says, you know what, you know what that is? And I said, no, he said, that's the piercing song in the Sundance. He said, the spirits are, are directing you to do the ceremony. And I had no idea about the ceremony then, you know. I mean, the only thing idea I have about the Sundance was when, you know, this movie called Man Call Horse, you know, they hung yeah. him. Well, that's what I'm thinking about right now is, <laughs> as you say, the piercing song. I'm going, oh, my gosh. And so I'm sure you had that same that same thought at yeah. this point. Right. And so I, I told him, he says, and then he just told me, he says, next week, he says, I'm, I'm having a Sundance, he says, and you come in there. He says, you have to bring this. I said, hold it. I said, wait a minute. I said, you want me to do this? Now? He said, yeah. Next week, like, like just yeah, come on week. down, Ernie. Yeah, come on down. We're going to have a Sundance. <laughs> what did he tell you? He said, bring, bring, some, bring some skewers. Is that what he told you? He yeah, said, yeah. Just, he said, just he told me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, and, and he said, a rope. And I said, hopefully, oh. that's it. And he said, you know, he told me how to make the Sundance skirt and whatever. And I said, I had no idea about anything. I said, I mean, this is like, you know, you, you take a guy from the frying pan and throw him right into the fire, you know. But, see, as a native, I knew somewhere in my soul this was something I had to do. Hmm. But my heart and my, my mind especially was thinking, man, you know. But in the back of my mind, too, I knew the stories that was told to me as a child growing up when he was a little guy too, you know, we were growing up together. We used to be told these stories about our native people, how, what they did, their ceremonies. So I had to do it. You know, I mean, I knew I had to do it. I, even though I couldn't, I could say no and would just walk away. But I said, no, I said, I got to do this. And for I your mean, people, this is, this is the ceremony for your right. people. I mean, this is the, right. and talk to me about the significance of, of the Sundance. 
the Sundance is really a, a, a ceremony. You know, a person pledges, as they say, you know, they're pledges. You pledge to do the ceremony for the survival of your culture and, and the health of your people, you know, and all living things that they will survive. It's, it's a, it's a, it, it, you sacrifice your blood, sweat, and tears for four days at this, you know, dancing in the sun at the Sundance tree. For this, this is the, the, the main goal for your soul is to, is, is the survival of your culture. The future generations that are out there, the children, they see you. And you show them by example, this is how our culture survives. We will continue to survive because we sacrifice our blood, sweat, and tears before the creator, the spirit that you don't see. You know, I mean, this is, this is, this is a completely alien kind of a thing for non-natives. They don't understand the purpose of what we do. Why do we do these ceremonies? And this is a culture. You know, people talking about somebody, I heard somebody saying about somebody's going to cancel my culture. They said all this. They tried to cancel this from us. This is our culture. This is our way of life. It's a culture. You can't take it away. You cannot cover it up. You cannot eliminate it. You cannot do anything because it is there. It's in all of us. It's in our DNA or it's in our blood that we understand the significance of a Sundance. It's the survival of your culture. It's the health of the people. And it's the survival of all living things like the four-legged, the wing, the green growing things, those things that crawl. Everything is here on this earth for a purpose, to balance the ecosystem so we can survive. We are the caretakers. We're supposed to be the caretakers of all these things. We don't dominate them. We care for them. Because with all these items out here, we are part of a culture. Our soul comes here to this earth. This, this is like a big, I guess you might call it like a, like a, the only explanation I can give for this is like a, it's like a big classroom, the earth. The soul comes here to learn the, the significance of the balance of the ecosystem. And then it travels back to the spirit world. And then the ceremonies we do are, were given to us to learn and understand the basic, deep, spiritual understanding of, of why our spirits come here. And this is the significant value of the, the Sundance, is what, why you do this. So when I did this, I, I started to realize that the healing has to start within myself first before I can you know, to, to share. So the first day I did this, I did it for myself to heal. And, and I went through hard times trying to do this, but once I got through that, then my mind started to understand in my soul, the stories that I remembered. What, this is what my great grandfather did all his life. He was, he told me in a ceremony later on after I did this, that he was not a chief. He was a sun dancer. He says, in Lakota, he said, I, I am a sun dancer. He says, I shared my, I gave my blood, sweat, tears for the people. He gave 50 pieces of flesh from each arm, 100 pieces of flesh for visions, for understanding, for the protection and the care for the people, the Lakota people. So this is his way of, 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 of giving his, his body to the 
understanding to uh, the understanding thing from the creator to say this is what I'm doing for my people that their survival will be here that's why I'm here you know because of guys like him my great grandfather because he he suffered he suffered for the people is what you're doing you're giving yourself your whole sweat blood everything that's in you for the survival of your people. You don't do this for yourself. But, you know, with me, I had to do it at the beginning before myself to start the healing so I can understand why I do this. This is a value that I, I, I hold in high regard for, for my people to survive. As, as Lakota people, we're individuals who are strong individuals who teach by example. So what you do is you try to Keep your mistakes at a minimum and keep your positive nature of understanding human beings as people. You know, and this is, you know, you don't look at the, the, the person's outer shell, whether they're what color they are, whether they're black, pale, you know, whatever. You look at their soul, the soul has no color. And that soul is sacred because we all knew each other in the spirit world before we came here. In 2012, you made a movie. You made a documentary, Sitting Bull's Voice. It was directed by uh, Bill Matson, and this is your oral family history. I mean, it's the oral tradition laid out for anyone who wants to find it. It's still available on Amazon, and and Ernie, you put a lot of work into that. And I, I would encourage anyone who wants to learn more about your great grandfather and and your family history. That is a a wonderful project to go out and find on Amazon. We'll put a quick link in the show story. But this quest for healing and this practice, I, I, you know, to say you've mastered it, I don't think you'd like me to put those words in your mouth, and I'm not. I think it's a continuous practice. Every day, you said, you, you go to the ceremony. Not the well, Sunday. I do. I, I, <laughs> but let me be no, clear. No, I don't. Not, not every day, but... <laughs> I have, a, I have a ceremonial room in my house here, and I, I do that every morning and every night. My main uh, point in what I do is try to get these people. It's just very, it's a difficult task once you're an older person is to let go of fear. Number one thing is let go of fear. Once you let go of fear, because fear is what causes racism, causes greed, it causes envy. It causes jealousy. It causes all these things that, that people live in right now. If you let go of fear, you, you won't have to follow some guy who you call your leader because you should be the leader of your own self. Function in this society as each other. You know, a practical situation. Look, at, look around you. Mother Earth is a soul, and we are killing her. If you let go of fear, you're going to see her. You're going to hear her. She's crying. She's coming to a point where she's going to say enough's enough. And to prepare yourself, it's, going to, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. This fourth purification. Mother has purified herself three times because of her children always fall into the rut of what's happening right now. So my only thought is hope I have in my heart is to let human beings, male, female, it doesn't matter what race you are, what color you are, whoever you are, let go of fear. And you will see that color has no 
Color is elementary. The soul is the number one, and the soul has no color. Spirituality, spiritual, spiritual greatness is what will help you survive to the next world, which is back to this real world. I think it's that uh, is my thought. I think it's a beautiful thought, Ernie, and I'm so glad that you that you came on. I I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that your great-grandfather is very proud of the man that you've become and the work that you're doing. And I thank you for coming on here, Ernie. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it, Matt. Folks, if you want to find out more about Ernie LaPointe, again, the movie, the documentary, is called Sitting Bull's Voice, and it's right there on Amazon and wherever great documentaries are sold. If you're not already a member of the newsletter, For History Worth Saving, you can sign up right there at historyworthsaving.com. So long for now, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to $200 in fee-free overdraft with a Chime checking account. Sign up today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.